one of you. Here's to you. As a beginning place for our lesson this morning, I want you to open your Bibles with me to Mark, the 8th chapter. We'll read the 31st through the 38th verses together, and that'll be our text for this morning. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked unto his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him and his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it, shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his, own, for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. On this occasion, Jesus is telling, first of all, his disciples how he must be rejected of the chief priests and the elders and how he must be put to death and how he would be resurrected on the third day. But at this point in Jesus' ministry, the apostles did not fully understand just why Jesus had come into the world. Many of them, Peter included, thought that this time that he was going to set up an earthly kingdom, that he was going to elevate the Jewish people to positions of prominence and that he was going to subjugate the Romans. You know, the Romans were occupying Jewish territory back then and the Jewish people were very bitter towards the Romans. So they thought, Peter and the other apostles, that Jesus was going to simply set up this earthly kingdom and they'd all have positions of importance and the Romans would be subjugated. The Romans then would be in obeisance to the Jewish people and they liked this idea. Well, when Jesus said that he had to be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes and what have you, and that he had to be put to death and that he was going to be resurrected, Peter immediately rebuked Jesus. He said, in essence, that can't be, Lord. You're not going to let that happen to you. They're not strong enough to do that to you. Why, you could smite them and snap your fingers and they'll be wiped off of the earth. And I'm just not going to listen to you tell us that you're going to have to die and that you're going to be put to death by these people. And Jesus immediately rebukes Peter. And he says, Get thou behind me, Satan, for thou savoreth not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men or the things that be of the world. Jesus is saying to Peter here, it seems to me, Peter, you've got a total misunderstanding of this. I haven't come into the world to set up any earthly kingdom. I haven't come into the world to elevate the Jewish people to positions of prominence. I haven't come into the world to make uh, this life necessarily easier for my followers. I've come into the world to pay the price for sin. I've come into the world to die for mankind. I've come into the world to take the sin of mankind in my body and bear it on the tree. And that through me, mankind can one day be with me and my heavenly Father in heaven. In a world that's so much better than this. I've come into the world not for earthly reasons, but for heavenly reasons. Not for worldly reasons, but for spiritual reasons. My message is a spiritual message. My dying it will be for the people in a spiritual sense so that their sins can be redeemed and so that they can be saved from those sins and can be with my Heavenly Father for that never-ending eternity. Peter made the same mistake that so many people are still making today in thinking that the rewards in following after Jesus should be earthly, should be worldly, should be material. Over in Matthew, the 8th chapter, uh, beginning with the 19th verse, this young man comes up to Jesus with almost unbridled enthusiasm. And he says, Lord, wherever you go, I'll go. 
I'll go wherever you take me, wherever you might be. That's where I'll go. And Jesus immediately tempers the young man's enthusiasm when he says, Now the foxes have their holes, and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. Jesus is simply saying, Now look and understand why you're following after me if you follow after me. Count the cost. If you're following after me because of earthly benefits or because of material things or because of the fish and the loaves, well, you're following after me for the wrong reason. You have to understand that I have nothing in a material sense. I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't have a place to call my own. So if you follow after me, you very well might be in the same situation. So understand that. Understand that if you're following after me for material reasons, that there are no promises for you materially or as far as earthly blessings are concerned. All right, Jesus, after saying this to Peter, he calls the multitude together with his disciples, the people. And he says, now deny yourself. Take up your cross and come follow me. Isn't it ironic that Jesus taught that in following after him, we would have to make certain sacrifices? We might even have to suffer. We might even have great problems in life. And the way the electronic or the television preachers of today preach, you ever hear these preachers preach, uh, you just send in your money and the Lord's going to reward you ten times over and for every hundred dollars you send in, the Lord's going to return it to you tenfold. And they teach the people that you just send in your money and you're going to get all the material blessings of this life. You know, everything's going to improve for you in this world. Isn't it strange how different preachers today preach than how Jesus taught and the apostles after the day of Pentecost and things and after the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they received the full measure of the Spirit, how they taught. Isn't it ironic how different the gospel or so-called gospel that we hear today that comes from the lips of these human beings, how different it is from the gospel that Jesus Christ and the inspired apostles preach. Jesus said, when we follow after him, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and come follow him. Now, the point he's making is, is as he said in Matthew 5, the rain shines on the good and the evil, and the, or the rain descends on the good and the evil, and the sun shines also on the, on the good and the evil. The point being that we follow after Jesus, we're not necessarily going to have any earthly blessings. We're not necessarily going to be made any healthier. We're not going to necessarily be any more successful. That percentage-wise, we suffer, those of us who follow after the Lord suffer from as many illnesses as people in the world suffer from. The difference is we have Jesus Christ to turn to. The difference is we have the hope uh, that, we, that we cherish in Jesus. The difference is, is that we've got something to strive for beyond the temporary existence of this world. But as far as our earthly problems and as far as uh, the things in this life are concerned, we have no more promises than anyone else. We should have peace of mind. And the lifestyle that we live should contribute to being successful because Christians should be honest and Christians should be industrious. And when you give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay and you're industrious, well, many times because of your attitude, you're successful in this world. But as far as the promises of God, the promises of Jesus, we have no more promises for uh, easy life, no more promises for better health, no more promises for material goods than anyone else has. The rain descends on the good and the evil. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. That when it comes to those things, people are pretty much equal. So if we're following after Jesus for earthly reasons, if we're following after Jesus for material reasons, if we're following after Jesus for the things of this world, well, we're following after him for the wrong reasons. We must be following after Jesus 
for spiritual reasons, because of the hope that we have in heaven, the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began, Titus, the first chapter of the second verse. So Jesus is just simply cautioning these people and telling these people, now, when you follow after me, you've got some crosses to bear. going to be difficult for you. Not necessarily going to be easy, and especially at that time, they had to endure tremendous persecution to be followers of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say, for whosoever shall save his life for my, for, uh, for my sake, well, for uh, whosoever save his life will lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake will save it. Now, what doth it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What a thought-provoking passage of Scripture. Mark, the 8th chapter, the 36th verses, and Jesus and Matthew records that question in Matthew 16 and 26. What doth it profit a man? if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul. I think the key word in that verse is the word profit. Now, the question is, is it always wrong to make a profit? Is Jesus condemning all kinds of profit or any form of profit in this verse? Well, certainly not. But it's wrong, friends and brethren, to make a profit when that profit would keep you from going to heaven. It's wrong to make a profit... It does you no good to make a profit if that profit is more important to you than your relationship with God. That if a person lives only for the profits in this world, what does it profit him if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And certainly there are many ways that people make profits in this life that are totally and completely wrong. Anytime you profit at someone else's expense, that can never be right. Anytime that you gain because of someone else's problems or because through hurting someone else, that can never be right. If you've been reading your papers and listening to the news this week, you know that they've come out with even additional information on tobacco and what it does to the body and how it shortens lives. They've said now that fully a thousand people every day die from tobacco-related illnesses. Now, the producers of tobacco, I'm not talking about the little guy out there in the farm that raises tobacco and he's just trying to make a living. I'm talking about the elite, the people way up in the tobacco industry, the people that are getting wealthy through the selling of tobacco. Do you think that it deters them when they know and they do know that all of these people are dying because of their product? Why doesn't it deter them? I've often wondered if we could... No, personally, many of the people up in the upper echelon or echelon of the tobacco industry, how many of them smoke personally? We might be in for a big surprise. We might find out that very few of them use the very product that they glamorize for, for other people. You know why smoking is not falling off the way it should? I think maybe 2% or so and every so often that people had to quit smoking overall. You know why the percentage is much higher? There's a lot of people who've got the willpower now to give that habit up. They give it up later in life. A whole lot of people. A lot of people just don't have the willpower to give it up. But there's a lot of people that do have the willpower and are giving it up. But why isn't the percentage of people quit, of people not smoking higher? Because the tobacco industry knows that where their future is is in the young people. And their ads and everything that they do to, to uh, try to produce or to sell their product 
is designed to encourage the young people to take that habit up. And young people, especially young girls, are taking the habit up in almost overwhelming numbers. The tobacco industry makes it look chic. They make it look suave. They make it look debonair. They make it look so enticing. They make young people think, well, if you want to really be cool, you know, you have to be smoking a cigarette. That's the way to be cool. And it's amazing that they encourage and that they entice so many young people to take up that habit. Now, the Surgeon General once had insists, and the government now insists that they put that little warning on their advertisements. The warning is so small that it is said that over half of the people or about half of the people who see the commercials never even or see the ads never even notice that little warning about cigarette smoking or using of tobacco being hazardous to one's health. Well, now the Surgeon General, they want to do more to encourage people to stop smoking and discourage people from taking up smoking, certainly. It's right to discourage people from taking up a habit that can do them nothing but harm, that can cause them nothing but problems, that can shorten and does shorten their lives. Certainly it's not wrong to discourage people to give up such a habit, but the tobacco industry doesn't like it. Tobacco industry doing everything they can to prevent the government and the Surgeon General, what have you, from increasing their efforts to encourage people or to not smoke or dis and discourage people from starting to smoke and encourage people to quit smoking. Now, why is the tobacco industry so concerned? Why is the tobacco industry fighting every move that would cause people to quit that habit and not take that habit up? Well, the answer to that question, friends and brethren, is obvious. Because of the profit motive. They're concerned about the profit. They make a whole lot of money from the sale of tobacco. Those who produce the liquor, those in the upper echelon of the liquor industry, and that become have become wealthy through the selling of liquor. Do you think that it phases them? I don't suppose that they like the idea that their product uh, kills people, that something like uh, half of the people killed in automobile accidents every year is the result of somebody driving under the influence of alcoholic beverages and all of the crimes that are committed under, by people under the influence of alcohol, all of the women that are violated by men under the influence of alcohol, all the wives that are battered, all the children that are abused. I'm sure that the the, those in the, who manufacture liquor and those in the upper echelon of the liquor industry aren't happy about that. I'm certain that they would prefer that it not be that way. Well, why then don't they stop selling their liquor? Why then don't they quit advertising their liquor? Why then don't they quit make glamorizing their liquor? Because of the profit motive. The profit motive is of more concern to them than the fact that tens of thousands of people every year lose their lives through their product. They're motivated by profit. Well, now, that's as wrong as it can be, the drug dealers in our land. You know, by nature, I think I'm somewhat of a compassionate person. I can't stand to see an animal suffer. If I see an animal suffer, I have to do something, put that animal out of its misery. I could tell you incidents in my life where I've gone out of my way to either get an animal and try to treat it or to put the animal out of its misery because I just can't stand to see things that are alive suffer. So I guess by nature, I'm kind of sympathetic that way, but I'll tell you something that's really bothered me here lately and causing me to be unsympathetic, and that's towards these drug dealers who are destroying the lives of literally tens and hundreds of thousands of young people, encouraging young people to take up that habit that can do nothing for them except destroy them. 
mentally, physically, in every other way, and these drug dealers are making enormous profits because of the pushing of these drugs and because of the gullibility, again, of young people and because so many people in this life are so unhappy, so dissatisfied, they're looking for something to give them some kind of a lift, give them some kind of a high, make life meaningful to them, and drugs does that temporarily. Any kind of drugs will do that for you temporarily. Before I became a New Testament Christian, I drank very much, got intoxicated very many times. Nobody knows any better than I do that those drugs at the time that you're drinking them can give you a lift, can make you forget all your problems, can put you on uh, in a mental state in which you just don't care whether school keeps or not. I know that as well as anyone because I know how I felt as the many times that I drank alcoholic beverages and the many, many times I drank them to excess. But you see, you always have to get up the next morning. And the next morning when you're not under the influence of that beverage to the point where it makes you feel good, you've got the headache and the stomach ache and all of the pains and the hangover while well, you pay the price. But the taking of the drugs at the moment you take those drugs, they give you a lift. They give you a high of some kind. They cause you to forget your problems. Well, so many people are so unhappy in this life. So many people are so dissatisfied in this life that they turn to those drugs. So they're easy prey for the drug dealers. Hundreds of thousands of lives are being destroyed because of the dealing of those drugs. I've almost reached the point that if I were dictator of this country, I believe that if a man was caught dealing in drugs or making a profit from drugs and it was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was guilty. Every person has a right to a fair trial. You understand that. But if he was given a fair trial, they were given a fair trial and it was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that that man or that woman was guilty. I sometimes wonder if taking them out in the town square and shooting them wouldn't be what would curb a lot of this drug pushing in our country today. That's what they do in some countries. And in those countries, the drug dealing is infinitesimal compared to, it is in, to what it is in America. I don't know if that's the solution or not, but I do know this. People who are making profits on the dealing of drugs, oh, what a terrible way to make money. What a terrible way to make a profit. What a terrible way to have some of the things in this life in a material sense that these people want. It's always, friends and brethren, wrong to make a profit at somebody else's expense. But are, is it all wrong always to make a profit? Why, certainly not. If we make a profit honestly, we make a profit honorably, there's nothing more noble than that. Or I shouldn't say there's nothing more noble than that, but that's a noble way of making a profit. A person goes into a business... And he makes, he wants to make a good profit. Certainly that's right and honorable. That's why he goes into the business. If he makes the profit honorably and he makes the profit honestly, not a thing in this world wrong with that. Person invests in CDs or some kind of insurance or some kind of stock. Why? Because he wants to make a profit. He wants a better profit where he can make a better profit honestly with his money. He feels that uh, this is what he wants to do and that's right. That's good. That's honorable. Never wrong to make a profit honorably. But it's always wrong, friends and brethren, to make a profit dishonorably. Always wrong to make a profit at somebody else's expense. And Jesus is simply saying now, what does it profit a man if he gains everything in this world and loses his own soul? If a person's life is centered around just how much of a profit he can make on this earth, how many material goods he can accumulate, whatever he can... Uh, being successful on this, earth, on this earth, and that's all he's concerned about, and he gains the whole world. What does it mean when he dies? He leaves it all behind him. 
First Timothy, the sixth chapter, the seventh verse, Paul says we came into this world with nothing, and it is for certain that we're going to go out of it with nothing. Well, what if a person gains the whole world, leaves this earth, dies, and winds up lost for never-ending eternity, what does it profit him that he gained the whole world? He doesn't take any of that with him. He doesn't take any of that into the next world with him. I read a story about a man some time ago. He was somewhat of a frugal man. He just uh, was thrifty and watched his money. He didn't trust banks. He kept all his money in his home, all the money that he had saved. Well, some criminal found out about it. If you've ever read the book uh, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood or if you have seen that movie, you recall that that family was murdered by these two young hoodlums because these two young hoodlums had heard that they had $10,000, which was considerable more money back then than it is now in the safe in that home. Well, this criminal had heard that this man had kept all his money in his home. He broke in the home in the middle of the night, went up to the man in bed, put the gun to his temple. He said, give me every cent you have or I'm going to blow your brains out. The man said, hey, I can't get the money for you fast enough. He got everything that he had in that house, gave it to the criminal, and the criminal left. A few days later, one of the friends of the man who had been robbed said to him, why didn't you try to talk that burglar or that robber out of that? He said, that was your life savings. You gave up everything you had in a few seconds to that man. And the individual who had been robbed said, well, I didn't like giving that money to him. I'd saved it all of my life. But when I felt that gun against the, the nozzle of that gun against my temple and felt that man or knew that that man's finger was on the trigger and that it just took a little twitch to pull that trigger, I would have been gone. That money did not seem very important to me. I just wasn't too concerned about the money. What good was the money going to do me if I was going to be dead, if that man was going to blow my brains out? Well, to this individual's credit, he didn't let money get him to the point where, where he valued the money more than his own life. read another story about him. Six men that had gone to California before the turn of the century, back in the 19th century, and back when they used to prospect for gold and these men hit it big. They found this gold and that was just worth, uh, I guess, millions of dollars. So each of them, in traveling back to their home, they took these gold belts and they filled them up with all the gold they could put in them. And each belt was worth uh, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars, which back then was, you know, worth way more than it is now in the currency value back then. And they started home when they put their belts around them. Well, they had to take... Uh, ship across some oh, some lake or something to get home. And anyway, out in the middle of this lake, it hit something, and the ship started to sink. Tore a hole in the bottom, ship started to sink, and the captain said, we only have enough lifeboats for the women and children. We've got a few life preservers. We want the men who can't swim to take the life preservers, but there's an island about a mile or so off to the west of us, and we're going to encourage all of you who can swim to just swim to that island. Well, five of those six men immediately dropped that money belt because they knew it would be very difficult to make it as heavy as the money belt was. Another man, the other man, the sixth one, not only did he not drop his own money belt, he took the other money belts and attached them around himself and thought that he could make it. He was a good swimmer, and he thought he could make it that mile. Well, they dived into the water, and obviously the belts pulled them down. Well, they fished his body out of the water a few days later, and a couple of the belts were off, as I, as I recall, and he was in the process of trying to get another one off when he lost his life. The thing that he cherished so much caused him to lose his life. Now, what did it profit that man to have all of that gold when he became so obsessed with that gold that it cost him his very life? Now, Jesus is saying, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it profit? Have you ever seen Christian people, they'll go into business and 
They'll become successful, and I can think of some personal friends of mine that this has happened to. They'll become successful, and the first thing you know, they start missing on Sunday night, and then Wednesday night, and next thing you know, they're missing on Sunday morning, and next thing you know, as one case I've got in mind right now, they leave the church completely. What happens to these people? They become so obsessed with the profit they're making that business, they forget about the Lord. Well, what they don't seem to think about is when they die, they're not going to take that business with them. Other Christians will get involved in building homes or something in their lives, and they'll get so involved in this that they become unfaithful to the Lord. Well, what they never seem to think about is the fact that when they die, they're not going to take that home with them. Now, here's the irony of it all. I've seen Christian people who are in business and are extremely successful and are as faithful to the Lord as they can be. I've seen Christian people build homes. I've seen them get involved in outside activities and be as faithful to the Lord as they can be, and their homes wind up just as nice as the people who become unfaithful. Christians who are in business and stay faithful to the Lord are just as successful percentage-wise as Christians who go into business and become unfaithful to the Lord. The point is, is that Jesus is saying any time we get our priorities out of balance, any time anything in this life becomes more important to us than our relationship with the Lord, any time that prophets are more important to us than heaven, we are making the most fatal mistake a human being can make. We are trading our souls for those things that last for just a few years on this earth. Those things with our, which are ephemeral, those things which are temporary, those things which pass with time. What does it profit a man? No matter how successful he is, if he winds up lost. And if a man is unsuccessful, if he's unhealthy, if he has physical infirmities, if he's poor, and he goes to heaven, hasn't he won it all? Can't he look back a billion years from now at this three score and ten that's been allotted to the average person and say it's not very important compared to the eternity that I've gained? The one who goes to heaven is the winner. The one who doesn't go to heaven is the loser, regardless of whether he was successful or unsuccessful in this earth or in this life. So as we close this lesson, let me plead with all the people in the television audience who've never obeyed the gospel of Christ to be baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins this very day where you can contact the blood of Jesus that cleanses you of your sins and you can be added to the church read about in the New Testament. If you're a delinquent Christian, come back to the Lord this day because if you lose your soul, you've lost it all. And if you gain heaven, you've won it all. God bless.